This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, I think, no, I know you're in for a real treat. When I was auditioning this episode of The Jack Benny Show, it broke me up. We've seen those movies, mostly comedies, where there's a dream sequence added. Well, that's what the writers came up with for this episode, entitled, Jack Recalls His Childhood. I hope you get as much a kick out of it as I did. is here. It is the sixth day of October and Jello is back on the air. But where are all our little playmates? Where are Donzy and Filzy and Mary and Dennis and Jackie Boy? Ah me, they're still asleep. For 15 weeks they have been in the arms of Morpheus. Wake up! Wake up, little playmates! Alas, they do not heed my summons. <laughs> However, we must get them up. But how? How can we awaken our master of ceremonies? How can we arouse Jackie Boy? Drop a quarter. You're asleep. <sighs> Alas, my efforts are unavailing. If only someone, someone with magic powers would assist me. But who? Who will it be? you, kid. <laughs> hmm. With my magic wand, I will awaken them. You will awaken them? Who are you? I am the Blue Fairy. <laughs> Then you must hurry, O oh Blue Fairy. Wake them all and do not tarry. Fear not, my friend. I'll fly away. All of me and that ain't hay. <laughs> well, here I go. Goodbye, Blue Fairy. So long, kid. <laughs> Wilson, you big lug. It's time we heard a jello plug. <laughs> oh, thanks, Blue Fairy. I heed your call. Hand me my girdle from off the wall. <laughs> Here you are. Oh, Dennis Day, jump out of bed. On your feet, not on your head. 
bed. Oh, um, I'm tired. Dennis, Dennis, wake up and get dressed. But gee whiz, Ma, I'm sleepy. Dennis, say you get right over to the studio. Mr. Benny will be furious if you're late. Okay. Do I have to wash behind my ears? What for? He doesn't. <laughs> That's a lie. That woman better watch out. Oh, little Phil Harris, come blow your horn. The cows in the meadow, the sheep's in the corn. Corn? (laughs) That got him. Who are you, babe? I am the Blue Fairy. Well, come on in. (laughs) This is a fantasy. Livingston, sound asleep in the land of Nod. But I, the blue fairy, will awaken her. Some fairy, she couldn't fly with three motors. <laughs> Mary, don't spoil the illusion. This is a fine way to start our first program. Well, can you think of something better? Anything. Oh, go ahead, fairy, and wake her up. When is she going to wake up the audience? Never mind. <laughs> Get going, fairy. Oh, Mary Liv, it's time you woke and told us all a funny joke. So open your eyes and don't be drowsy. Oh, boy, what a lead. (laughs) Give me that one. Ouch! All right, now wake me up. (laughs) Jack Benny snores so rich and deep. For 15 weeks, he's been asleep. But now he must awake, you know, and run his good old Jell-O show. Awake, awake, awake. The sun is shaking all the hills and birds are singing by the mills. For faith, for faith, for faith, I slumber. Wake up, Jack Benny. I don't know. Hey, Eddie, will he ever wake up? I don't know. Hey, Phil, will he ever wake up? I don't know. Hey, Sam! Never mind, I'm up! (laughs) My goodness! J-E-L-L-O! The Jell-O Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with Shout, I Am an American.
friends, I know you're all anxious to get on with the show, and so for that reason, I'm not going to take the time right now to tell you about Jell-O. I'm not going to say a word about how popular Jell-O is with just about everybody the country over. I'm not going to tell you that Jell-O is simply tops for gay, tempting color and wonderful, extra-rich flavor. I won't stop now to point out that Jell-O is a quick, easy dessert to make or that it's delightfully inexpensive. And I'm not even going to mention that you can get Jell-O in six delicious flavors. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. I'd like to tell you all these things, ladies and gentlemen, but there just isn't time right now. So, on with the show. And, uh, oh yes, uh, there isn't time either to tell you that you ought to get some Jell-O tomorrow without fail. by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time this season, I bring you a man who returns to the air, fresh as a daisy, gay as a daffodil, modest as a violet, and rugged as a sweet pea, Jack Benny. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Jello again, this is your favorite flower talking. (laughs) And Don, um, Don, before we go any further, uh, what did you think of that novel opening to our first program? You know, where we're all supposed to be asleep for 15 weeks. Wasn't that whimsical? It certainly was, Jack. And clever, too. You know, I wrote and produced it myself. Did you like the idea of the Blue Fairy? Yes, that was novel. Who is she, anyway? I don't know her name, Don, but she uh, came to us through the courtesy of the Great Lakes Dredge and Dock Company. Her freight bill was something awful in there. Well, anyway, Don, here we are starting our seventh season for Jell-O. For seven years, you and I and our little gang have been with the same sponsor. Yes, sir. Seven years on one job. You know, Don, we're either loyal or in a rut. (laughs) But who knows? We might be with the same sponsor seven more years. Or ten. Or twenty. If he ever tunes in on us, we're cooked. Well, look who's here. Hello, Mary. Hello, Mary. Hello. How are you? Well, did you hear that ovation, Mary? Applause, cheers, whistles. I can't understand it. I can. Hmm. Same a modest, assuming, unassuming little girl, huh? Fine thing for you to say. Aw, oh, Jack, who are you kidding? Every actor loves applause, and you know it. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Mary's right, Jack. There's a certain amount of ego in every one of us. Now, wait a minute, Don. I was in vaudeville for a good many years, and my only thought was to entertain. Applause meant absolutely nothing to me. Oh, no? Tell him about the time you're going to kill yourself in Toledo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even the ushers didn't applaud there. (laughs) Besides, I had no intention of killing myself. Then what were you doing with that rope in your dressing room? I hung my laundry on it. (laughs) Let's not start our first program by being personal. Let's talk about something uh, else. What'd you do this summer, Mary? I was asleep till that dredge woke me up. Now, cut that out. You're not supposed to take that literally. 
It was just a delightful fantasy. Why, Jack, you ought to be ashamed of yourself writing a corny thing like that. Who said I wrote it? You did. Oh. <laughs> well, as long as I'm trapped, I wrote the music, too. <laughs> anyway, it was a very novel opening for our first program, and I'm proud of it. Proud of it? Why, well, it didn't even make sense. Oh, it didn't, eh? Well, they said the same thing about A Midsummer Night's Dream. And look how successful that was. Yeah, I hear Shakespeare just built a home in Brentwood. <laughs> That's Abe Shakespeare from Universal. <laughs> Anyway, Mary, you don't appreciate how hard it is to get new ideas and things. You know, Don, I sat up night after night working on an idea. Hey, Jack. What? Here comes Sierra Sue. Oh, yes. Hello, Phil. Hiya, folks. Here's the man you've been waiting for. Get them hands out of your pockets. Well, Phil, hello. Oh, sure. He would ask for it. I appreciate that, folks. You know, applause is food for an actor, so thanks for the lunch. Ha <laughs> ha, it's a Lulu. <laughs> well, you didn't disappoint us, Phil. You came right back the way you left. <laughs> Not a colonel missing. <laughs> well, Phil, I hear you had another successful tour this summer on those one-night stands. Yes, sir. We covered about 16,000 miles, one town after another. Boy, that's what I call a tough grind. I wouldn't go through that for all the money in the world. What? You heard me. <laughs> I don't know how that guy does it. Phil, why do you only stay one night in a town and then move on? Love them and leave them. That's my motto. <laughs> I know. I saw tattooed on your chest. <laughs> you know, Phil, you ought to take a vacation in the summer instead of working and traveling around the country. Look at those bags under your eyes. Oh, uh, they're not so big. I like to have them pull a radium, that's all. <laughs> Grub. Now, wait a minute, Jack. I look all right, and so do my boys. Why don't you say something about the new suits they're wearing? Well, I've got to admit, they're all spruced up today. I notice another thing. They smell so sweet. Why, sure. They all got perfume on. Perfume, eh? That's all right. He'll never replace the old-fashioned bathtub. <laughs> never mind. With them, I'll settle for anything. But at that, Phil, I must compliment you on the way Hey, that... Jack. What? Here comes Baby Dumpling. Oh, yes. Hello, Dennis. Hello, everybody. Hi, well, hello, Denny. Well... Gee, was all that applause for me? Yes, sir, Dennis. Every bit of it. The people are glad to see you back again. Then I ought to get more dough. <laughs> Sit down, you money-mad ham. <laughs> it's a fine entrance you made, Dennis. The first crack out of the box, you want more money. You know, this is only your second year in show business, and if you ask me, you're doing all right. Well, Kenny Baker's got a yacht. Never mind Kenny Baker. <laughs> And it leaks. <laughs> more money, more money. Let me tell you a little story, Dennis. Something you ought to know and think about. When I was a kid your age, life wasn't as easy for me as it is for you. Well, I used to walk around the streets of Waukegan selling newspapers. I was hungry. Yes, and I was barefoot. <laughs> 
I bet it was snowing, too. <laughs> you said it. Why, Dennis, when I used to come home at night after tramping the streets all day selling those papers, my little feet were swollen and bleeding. Where'd you get the blood? <laughs> I had it then. <laughs> but I was happy, Dennis. Happy because I was struggling to achieve success, slow but sure. And, and that's why you should be happy, too. Gee, I'm sorry, Mr. Benny. Maybe I ought to take a cut. <laughs> a cut? Look at, look at his ears go up. <laughs> they didn't budge. <laughs> Now, listen, Mary, I wasn't going to mention it because I wanted it to be a surprise to the whole gang. But when you each get your check tomorrow, you'll find a raise, a substantial increase. I don't believe it, but say it again. Well, don't act so surprised. I, I gave you all a raise last year, didn't I? Sure, but right afterwards, you sold a stock in your ostrich farm. My ostrich farm? What's wrong with that? They lay eggs every day of the week. And on Sunday, you take over. <laughs> Mary, May Company. <laughs> now, Dennis, if you can forget... Dennis, if you can forget about Kenny Baker's yacht long enough, how about singing a song for us? Okay. Go ahead, Dennis. Wait a minute. Come in. Pardon me, are you Jack Benny? Yes. My name is Gross. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Why, no, no. I'm never too busy for an interview. Well, first of all, what are your plans on the radio this year? Oh, I don't know. We're going to keep about the same formula and style as in the past. Yet, we hope to be topical and keep up with the time. I see. And, uh, are you planning any, uh, are you planning any out-of-town trips during the season? Well, we'll stay here in Hollywood until the middle of December, and then we'll probably go to New York for a month. A month, eh? Yes. That'll bring you back about the... About the, uh... The middle of January. I see. And, uh... Are you, uh... Are you going to close up your house in Beverly Hills while you're away? Yes, I intend to. Yes. Well, I think that about covers everything. Thanks very much, Mr. Benny. You're welcome. Oh, by the way, what paper are you with? None. I'm a burglar. Goodbye. <laughs> Hey, come back here. Well, of all the nerve, sing, Dennis. Oh, Jack. What? You better take your mattress to the bank tomorrow. I will. Don't worry. When the swallows come back to Capistrano Chapel choir will sing 
the happiness you'll bring will live in my memory. When the swallows come back to Capistrano, that's the day I pray that you come back to me. My heart is burning too If you should not return I'll still be waiting for you When the swallows come back to Capistrano When the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano, sung by Dennis Day, and accompanied by Phil, I'll play any town under 2,000 Harris. <laughs> and Dennis, Dennis, that was really a beautiful number. Thank you, Mr. Benny. And I, I love the thought, When the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano. Don, isn't that a grand title? Don, When the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano. Oh, Jack, please. Don, are you rebelling? No, but I just think... Don, when the swallows come back to Capistrano. Okay, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever you swallow a dessert, make sure that it is genuine jello. That's better. Whether you live in Capistrano or San Luis Obispo, always come back to your neighborhood grocer and ask him for a package of tempting economical jello. It comes in six delicious flavors. So remember. All right, Dennis. Oh, I don't wanna. Dennis. <laughs> okay. When the swallows come back to Capistrano, you will find that jello's waiting there for you. Oh, Capistrano. There, that wasn't such a bad plug, was it? Did you write that, Jackson? I certainly did. Take a bow and I'll punch you right in the nose. <laughs> Why don't you? <laughs> anyway, that was smart writing, Mary. You know, Don, I'm going to do a lot of that stuff this coming season. Write clever commercials and fantasies. All kinds of sketches and things. It's a lot of work, isn't it? Oh, I don't mind. In fact, I get a kick out of it. Hey, Jackson, what's the idea of all this writing all of a sudden? Last Tuesday, he found a fountain pen. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my talent Say, Don I suppose if you found a canoe, you'd want to be an Indian guide <laughs> Silly, me an Indian guide Say, Don A couple of feathers in your hair wouldn't hurt <laughs> All right, forget it I found a fountain pen on Sunset Boulevard I put an ad in the paper, nobody claimed it So it's mine What paper did you put the ad in? In the Louisville Courier Journal <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
ran three days. Now, Don... Gee, does Sunset Boulevard go that far? Get a map and don't annoy me. Now, Don, if I can get a word in edgewise here, we're almost through with this first program, aren't we? Just about, Jack. All we have left is Phil's number, and that'll about wind up the show. Well, then, look, I'm going to run along. You see, uh, Rochester's downstairs waiting for me in the car, and I've got to rush home. You see, I'm writing an article for the Saturday Evening Post, and I want to get it off tonight. You must have found a bottle of ink, too. <laughs> yes, and some stationery and stamps and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Is it okay, Don? Sure, go right ahead, Jack. I'll take care of everything. All right. Well, so long, Don. So long, fellas. See you next Sunday. Goodbye, Goodbye. Jack. Good See you later, Jack. Jack. See you next week. Well, come on, Phil. Let's get going. Okay, Don. Hit it, boys. <laughs> Rochester, Rochester, watch out. You don't honk at red lights, you stop for them. Well, our bridge is in a delicate condition. <laughs> well, then you can shut off the motor. Boys, if I shut off this motor, even the blue ferry couldn't start it. <laughs> Just watch your driving, that's all. Okay. I sure liked your program tonight, boys. You did? Well, that's good. Uh, which gag did you like the best? What about you giving everybody a raise? <laughs> that was a good one. It wasn't any joke, Rochester. I'm giving the whole cast more money this year. You are? Yes. Well, boss, has my status quo been affected by this bolt from the blue? <laughs> what do you mean? In other words, when I get my check tomorrow, am I going to be grinning or groaning? <laughs> now, Rochester, let's get this straightened out right now. When I say I'm giving a raise, I mean I'm giving an increase to my associates on the radio. Uh-huh. You see, you're connected with me in a private capacity. That is, you're in a domestic category. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in a nutshell, Rochester, I regard you as just a butler. Not an actor. Just a butler? Yes. Boss, did you see our last picture? (laughs) Don't change the subject. Anyway, Rochester, I can't see where you have any cause for complaint. You're doing all right. Bill Robinson's got a yacht. I don't care what... If you're not careful, you're liable to be first mate on it. <laughs> Never saw anybody in my life that complains about... Hey, wait a minute. Rochester. Rochester, stop the car. What's the matter, boss? Quick, stop the car. Hmm. <clears> hmm. <throat> uh, pardon me, miss. Are you going towards Beverly Hills? I said, are you going towards Beverly Hills? Hmm. Drive on, Rochester. <laughs> Oh, well. (laughs) Stop laughing. We're not home yet. You'll never give up, will you, boys? (laughs) Never mind. And getting back to the salary you're so dissatisfied with, let me tell you a little story, Rochester. 
When I was a kid in Waukegan, I used to walk around the streets selling newspapers. I was hungry. And yes, I was barefoot, too. But I was happy. I didn't mind struggling because I knew that someday all my work... This is the last number of the first program in the new Jell-O series. And we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Say, Phil. Yeah, Mary. How about taking me over to the Wilshire Bowl tonight? I'm taking the Blue Fairy. Oh, that's right. There wouldn't be room for both of us. Good night, Stay tuned for yours truly, Johnny Dollar, next up on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was a radio drama about a fabulous freelance insurance investigator, quote, with the action-packed expense account. Each story started with a phone call from an insurance executive calling on Johnny to investigate an unusual claim. Each story was recounted in flashback as Johnny listed each line item from his expense account. Now, most of the items related to transportation and lodging, but no incidental expense was too small for Johnny to itemize, such as um, item 9, 10 cents, aspirin, I needed them. (laughs) Let's check out the expense account for the Virginia Beach Matter. Now, from Hollywood, it's time for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Uh, Carl Brewster down at East Coast. Yes, Carl. Uh, I wonder if you'd do a little job for us. Sure, what is it? A policyholder of ours needs some protection. Well, I hope this doesn't indicate a trend. This is the second time an insurance company has hired me as a bodyguard. Isn't that rather unusual? Well, it's rather an unusual case. This girl, uh, her fiancé has spent the past five years in prison. He's being released tomorrow, and he swears that the first thing he's going to do is kill her. Well, that's cozy. Mm -hmm. I think she deserves some help. Uh, Come on down this afternoon, we'll talk it over. Edmund O'Brien, in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, East Coast Underwriters, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Carl Brewster. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during assignment on the Virginia Beach matter. Expense account item one, a dollar and a half cab fare from my apartment to your office. Well, well, you're prompt, Dollar. How are you, Mr. Brewster? Or did we set any particular time? No, I guess we didn't. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad to see you anyway. Sit down. Thank you. Now, let's see. Oh, yes, the Browning girl. Janice Browning. Uh, How much did I tell you over the phone? That her boyfriend was getting out of stir and was going to kill her. What you left unsaid was that she probably deserves it. What's that? I don't hold much sympathy for these dames that get themselves involved with some hoodlum and then decide to get disinvolved the minute the going gets rough. But it's your money. I wouldn't jump to conclusions, Dollar. This is a pathetic case. Of course, the girl made a mistake in taking up with this fellow, but five years is a long time to think. And she realized her mistake. What did he go up for? Well, I believe it was Robert. 
Do you know if she spent all the loot before she realized her mistake? Now, Dollar. Why doesn't she hire a bodyguard herself? Because she can't afford it. She has nothing. She turned to us because there was no place to go. Poor thing is in desperate fear of her life, Dollar. Surely you can appreciate that. Okay, give me the rest. And there's a little more. She's living in Virginia, uh, outside of Norfolk, Virginia Beach. Janice Browning, was it? Uh-huh. Uh, I have her dress for you. Her fiancé's name is Robeson. Uh, Mark Robeson. He's due out tomorrow. From the state penitentiary at Richmond. Uh, just stay with her until we see what happens. She, uh, she was here, Dollar. I talked to her. This will not be an unpleasant assignment for you. She must have something more than a policy to knock this whole company off its feet far enough to hire a bodyguard. That could spell bankruptcy if it went far enough. Expense count item two, $110. Transportation and incidentals between Hartford and Virginia Beach, Virginia. Virginia Beach seemed hardly the scene for potential murder. A white strip of sunny beach on one hand and a friendly forest of pine on the other. I found Janice Browning's address just south of the village proper. A fair-sized cottage surrounded first by a small, well-kept garden and then undeveloped land. When I got out of the cab, I was looked over by a trim little honey blonde thing in shorts and halter who waited for me on the veranda. Hello. Hello. You seem to be carrying a suitcase. Are you sure you haven't been misdirected? Are you Miss Janice Browning? No, I am her personal maid. Who are you? My name is Dollar. I'm the investigator from the insurance company. Did you say personal, maid? Yeah. Did you say investigator? That's right. Well, I hope you'll pardon me if I'm confused. I was not notified of the arrival of no investigator. What is it you want? Miss Browning asked for me. She went to her insurance company and requested a bodyguard. A bodyguard? Well, I didn't know about that. But then there are lots of things I don't know as yet I'm new here. But if she asks, for you. You may as well come in. Thanks. I suppose you were surprised when I said I was Miss Browning's personal maid because of the way I'm dressed. You'll pardon the expression. As a matter of fact, I was surprised that she had one. Why'd you say that? I'd been led to believe that she couldn't afford things like that. Well, between you and I, I haven't been paid yet. But she seems to be very generous. She turned over her entire wardrobe for me to wear at any time. Yeah, but maybe that's a bad sign. Maybe she's going to pay me off in clothes. And they don't quite fit, as you can see. How long have you been here? Just only three days. My name's Betty Light. I took the name Light from my stepfather. What are you doing here? Well, Miss Browning has a fiancé coming out of prison today, and she's afraid to meet him alone. Prison? Well, you could never tell. But I suppose it's her business. What is? Well, if I was sweating out a fiancé after all that time, I wouldn't be quite so sick with what she's sick with. What do you mean? Well, if I were him, I'd feel cheated. She hasn't been wasting her time, from what I can tell. In one week, that's plenty. But I shouldn't be gassing like this. Who is he? His name is George Masters. And if there's a fiancé on tap, he'd better be careful. Why is she afraid that she shouldn't be? Well, because she changed her mind about him and evidently didn't tell him about it. Sure, the same old story. Well, this is a surprise to me, but the least I can do is work out the wig. You know, Betty, I feel the same way. It was just past.
past midday when I arrived, and it wasn't until almost five that a cream-colored convertible coasted into the driveway carrying a man and another honey blonde. I could see immediately how Janice Browning had swept the insurance company off its feet. How do you do, Mr. Dollar? I'm so glad you're here. Oh, oh may I present Mr. Masters? All right, Mr. Masters. Uh, I won't stay, Jan. I know you have things to talk over. I'll pick you up at seven. All right, George. Uh, bye, Dollar. feel a lot better, too, now that you're here. I'll do what I can. See you at seven, Jan. I'll be ready. Oh, please sit down, Mr. Dollar. Oh, Betty. Yes, Miss Brown. I don't think we'll need anything, and I'd like to see Mr. Dollar alone, if you don't mind. Oh, by all means, Miss Browning. Could I have your permission to visit the beach? Of course, stay as long as you like. You know where the beach things are. Oh, I wouldn't think of encroaching. I'll just go the way I am. She's the strangest girl. Where'd you find her? She was a waitress in New York. I asked her if she wanted to come down for the rest of the summer. I thought she'd be company. But she's become so formal, or tries to be. Oh, would you like a drink or something? No, thanks. I suppose you think I'm an awful coward to scream for help the way I did. Well, I haven't heard all the particulars. I I really didn't know what else to do. I thought of running away, but, well, I've made friends here. There's the simple fact that I don't have any money. How serious do you think this threat to kill you is? I'm afraid it's quite serious. But I, I don't know what will happen, and I wanted somebody to be with me. When did you see him last? Six months ago. I thought about it for a long time, about our breaking our engagement and which would be the best way to do it, and I decided to face him while he was still in prison and simply tell him I couldn't go on. Well, that wasn't the easiest way to hand it to him. I know, but it was the fairest, I thought. He didn't create a scene or anything, but I'll never forget his expression. He just looked at me and said, Have your fun. You've only got six months, because when I get out of here, I'm going to kill you. Well, now the six months are up. He's been let out. He knows you're here? Yes, he'll come here. Your friend Master said he was going to call for you at seven. Where were you going? Just to dinner and maybe a club afterwards. I think you'd better cancel it. Why? I'll go crazy if I have to sit in this house and just wait. I don't want you to come back here after dark for one reason. If you can't go a long distance and stay, I don't want you to leave at all. The village is too small. If he knows it, he'll find you. I'll be with George. Look, you managed to put the responsibility of this thing into the lap of your insurance company, and they handed it to me. Now, I want you to stay here where I can keep my eye on you. All right, Mr. Dollar. I'll do anything you want me to. Good. Oh, uh, you might mix that drink you offered. Scotch, if you have it, and plain water. The rest of the evening was spent with small talk and mounting tension. The state penitentiary was no more than a hundred miles from Virginia Beach, and since it's the habit of prisons to turn out their guests at dawn, Mark Rolfson had had plenty of time to make the trip. In spite of a sultry night, I closed and locked all the doors and windows, and by eleven, the cottage was dark, with everyone retired. The living room was the most strategic spot in the house, so I stretched myself across a couch that was too short for me and listened to the silence. It must have been some time after midnight when I heard a door crack behind me. Who's that? Hi, Mr. Dollar. Oh, you shouldn't be roaming around the house, Betty. I down here laid a chair across your head. Oh, it's too hot to sleep. Besides, I have a few things on my mind if you're interested. Sure, sure. Sit down. 
Thanks. Did I not understand you to say that this Khan was her fiancé? That's right. Well, she certainly lives in circles, if you ask me. I happen to uncover some information that will knock you for a loop. What? Well, basically, I've never been a snoop, but I didn't go to the beach. Oh? Well, after you advised me of the situation around here, I felt I had a right. I went into her room, which is no more than an oversized closet with bath. And it's a good thing I did, because in a drawer, I found a picture of Miss Browning posing as a bride. A bride? Yeah. Are you sure of that? As sure as I'm sitting here. And the guy standing with her was a bridegroom if I ever saw one. Were they fancy? What do you think of that? I don't know. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. But from what I've overheard, this fiancé of hers has been in prison for five years. Yeah, that's the story. Then how come her wedding picture was taken in 1947? Was it? That's what stamps on the back of it. Now, is that screwy or isn't it? It definitely is. And there are some other things that don't ring truly. For example, this mug she is currently tied to. I heard her when she called him tonight, and it sounded more like... He blasted your room. Get down the floor. Stay there. Hey, hold it. Hold it, Rose. He hadn't moved away from the window. He fired. When I got to him, he was still pointing the now empty gun at me, pulling the trigger and looking down at it stupidly. Get away. I won't go back. I don't have to stay in the hospital now. I'm all better now. Give me the gun, Robeson. It's empty. No. It's mine. You're one of her men. She always had men. No, I'm not one of her men. Let's go in the house and calm down. You talk like a doctor. Yeah, you're a doctor. You can't take me back. Get away from me. You told me to make myself believe that she was dead and I'd sleep better. Come on. Get away. I won't go back. Let go. Don't cause any more trouble, Rope. Come on. I won't go back. Let go, Rope. No. Now I don't have to go back. Let go. physical strength of those whose mental strength is gone. I got his hands away from my throat by sinking my knee into his stomach. There was nothing I could do to hold him. He lumbered off into the darkness and disappeared. I didn't need a medical opinion to know that I wasn't protecting Janice Browning from a released convict. I was protecting her from a homicidal maniac. is you're hiring that girl because she looks enough like you to be mistaken for you at a distance. You give her your clothes to wear and you put her into your room. But she'd be dead now if she hadn't come into the living room. I- I'm not trying to pass the blame, but it was George Master's idea. He remembered her and thought bringing her here might be a way to save my life. Robeson's your husband, isn't he? Yes, he's my husband. 
What's he doing running around loose? He escaped from a hospital in Pennsylvania. He's been there a year. He tried to kill me before he was committed. Why didn't you tell the insurance company the truth? I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. It was Mr. Brewster's idea to tell you that he was coming out of prison. He thought you wouldn't take the job if you knew the truth. Well, he was right, and I'm leaving the job right now. Oh, you have every right to. You can get yourself some protection around here. I couldn't when I tried. I went to every private detective in Norfolk and Portsmouth. None of them would take the case? No. Well, what about the police? What is this, county out here? Yes, it is. I notified the sheriff's office, and they promised me extra patrols, but that's the best they could do. So how did you happen to turn to the insurance company? Well, George Masters is my lawyer. He suggested it. Mr. Dollar, I'm not begging for help or excusing anything I've done, but I've been half crazy with fear and the awful lost feeling when nobody would help me. I, I, I had to do something. What about your lack of money? Was that a lie, too? Oh, every penny I had has been spent on treatment for Mark. I borrowed from George on my insurance. I, I sold our house in Connecticut, and that money's gone. This property is all I have left, and I borrowed against it. Huh? I guess you've had your troubles. Who can I talk to about your husband? You mean a, a doctor? Yes, I thought maybe a doctor might know what Robeson would do next. Well, Dr. Becker came on to Norfolk after he warned me that Mark had escaped. His, his phone number is in the little book on the stand. Well, I hate to bother him, but I'd like to have him come out tonight. Mr. Dollar? Yeah? You're staying? Well, not any longer than I have to. Hey, uh, you better get up and have a drink. You're shaking like a leaf. I changed my mind about dropping the case, Mr. Brewster Not only because she was a beautiful woman in a tough situation But also for another reason I awoke Dr. Becker at his hotel in Norfolk And after I outlined the night's events to him, he agreed to come out been a decidedly unpleasant experience, Mr. Dollar. On the other hand, you are fortunate to be alive. Yes, I guess I am. Robeson is only dangerous when his basic jealousy is aggravated. You say you arrived with Luggy? That's right. Perhaps he was watching then and misunderstood your visit. Oh, I get it. Well, what do we do now, Doctor? He probably thinks he killed her. Can we expect him to come back? Well, that is hard to say. He'll suffer a deep sense of remorse. Then he may feel that what took place was only a figment, a dream. The remorse would cause introspection and keep him away. The fantasy thought might bring him back to investigate. When? Oh, who knows? Tonight, even. Or tomorrow. Would he try to kill her again? Oh, yes, yes. An extremely strong fixation. Do you want him to come back? Well, I want to see the end of this. That's the best way I can think of. I'll keep his wife here tomorrow, outside, so he can see her if he does come. She's the one who really has suffered, the poor girl. I wish there were a way to ensure her safety. We could alert the police. But with the police on the scene, then he would not return. Here she comes. Hello, Dr. Becker. Oh, good evening, my dear. Oh, morning, rather. Oh, I'm so sorry about the trouble. Uh, I'm afraid it can't be helped. I was so sure at one point that he was responding to treatment. Oh, I know you've done your best, Doctor. Mr. Dollar, I may be imagining things, but I'm awfully worried. It'll be all right. No, I'm, I mean, I tried to phone George and there's no answer. It's after two and he should be at home. Mark knew that George and I have always been friendly. 
Would there be any danger to this man, Doctor? Oh, I hardly think so. All of your husband's aggressive urge was directed towards you, Janice. Oh, well, could we go and see if everything is all right? I, I, I can't help it. I'm worried. Where does he live? In the village. It's not far from here. Could we borrow your car, Doctor? Oh, by all means, my dear. Here, here are the keys. You'll come with me, Mr. Dollar. Oh, I'm not letting you go alone. We'll be back as soon as we can, Doctor. Oh, this is his house, the white one. Oh, there's his car in the driveway. There's a light on. Maybe his phone is out of order. I, I told him I'd let him know if anything happened. George, it's Jan. Doesn't answer. I want to go in. Yeah, let's see. Mm, it's unlocked. George? Light's coming from a room back there. Oh, that's your study. Where the phone is. Oh, well, we can check that then. was lying face up in the middle of a room that had been pretty well torn up by the struggle. The first thing I noticed were the bruises left on his throat by the hands that had choked him to death. I noticed another thing when I went to the desk to phone the police. There was a gun lying on it, and I would have sworn that it was the same police special Mark Robeson was carrying earlier in the evening. Dr. Becker to quiet Janice Browning after I literally dragged her out of the master's house and got her home. Well, I hope she can rest now, but she's dangerously near to mental collapse herself. Yes, I can understand that. Is there anything further that I can do, Mr. Dollar? Nothing now, Betty. Get some sleep if you can. Sleep? Who could sleep? Well, and spend your time packing. You're going back to New York in the morning. I certainly am. For me, you can give Virginia Beach back to the engine. Is Janice in love with Masters, Doctor? I think so. A great feeling of loyalty, at least. He'd helped her so much with monetary loans and so on. But you said he wouldn't remember the association between Masters and his wife. Yes, I was convinced that he wouldn't. There was a police special in Masters' study. I'm positive it was the same one that Robeson used here. Oh? I tried to take it away from him. I couldn't. Why should he leave it at Masters? Well, I don't know. Say, did they know one another before Robeson broke down? Oh, yes. They were quite friendly. They... Oh, good heavens, Doc. What are you driving at? Mm, Janice borrowed from Masters on a life insurance policy. That usually means making the lender a beneficiary. I don't know how much the policy was for, but I'm going to find out. Well, I dislike having to agree with you, Dollar, but... But I do. In Robeson's warped mind, Janice was the arch-enemy. It would have been quite easy for Masters to inflame Robeson to the point where where he would kill his own wife. Oh, Mr. Dollar! Mr. Dollar! What is it, Betty? He's back. That man, he came back. All right, take it easy. You're all right. But I saw him. He was looking in the window. One, the one he shot through. Doctor, was... doctor, take care of her, will you? I'd better get back to Janice's room. <laughs> trouble that night, nor was there any rest. 
We knew that since Robeson had come back, he realized his mistake. And we knew that he would try to come back again. We agreed that instead of calling for police protection, we would let him return and try to handle him when he did. An hour after daybreak, we felt it safe to relax. And it wasn't until noon that I drove Betty Light into Virginia Beach and put her aboard a bus bound for the comparative safety of New York. Before I started the return trip, I made a swing past George Master's house, convinced the deputy sheriff in charge that I had a right to poke my nose in, and got myself back into the study. I suppose it'd be all right if you'd go in. They took up all the evidence they wanted, I guess. What was that, Sheriff? Uh, all the things that pick up prints. Here you are. What do you want to look at? Some of his papers. I won't interfere with your work, but I'd like to know how he stood financially. You think that has something to do with it? No, I don't know. It might. They dusted all them drawers, so I guess it's all right if you pull them. He's a lawyer, you know. Yeah, I know. Then the field's wide open. A lot of people didn't like them. Oh? I didn't know that. What's that for? It's a ledger. Kept his accounts in it. What'd you find? Janice Brown. Who's that? Somebody he loaned some money to him? Ooh, I'll say he did. $20,000. That's all I wanted, Sheriff. Thanks, and I hope I haven't caused you too much trouble. What I'd found was another link in a chain of circumstantial evidence that would never be used since George Masters was dead. He had loaned Janice Browning the thousands she had spent on treatments for her husband, and it was obvious that there was no chance of her ever being able to pay him back. The last notation revealed the fact that a $5,000 loan had been made on her insurance policy in April. A long-distance call of the company told me that the policy was for 50000 and that George Masters had become the sole beneficiary the same month, April. no purpose in telling her, Mr. Dollar, or questioning her. I don't either, Doctor. I hadn't planned to, but the sheriff's office won't think twice about throwing it at her if it gets out. If you will um, allow me the privilege of perjuring a certain amount of expert testimony, I think I could manage to gloss over it. Well, the deputy saw it, but I don't think it sank in. Uh, I hope not. Of course, we're assuming that we'll be successful in subduing Robeson. You said he would come back. I'm sure he will. It is you I'm worried about. Well, I'll have to be ready for him this time. He's too strong to take without a weapon. I hate to do it. Oh, I don't think you need to be. The poor fellow will have no idea what is happening except that he has come back. Okay. Is she awake? Yes, yes, I think so. Well, it's three o'clock. She should be outside in case he's watching. Yes, yes, I'll go and explain our tactics to her. Good luck, Mr. Dollar. I hope all goes well. <laughs> cruel baiting the trap, but it had to be done. We paraded Janice Browning through the garden in her most fetching get-up until dark, and then sent her in to sit in front of an open window. I don't know how she held on to her own sanity. I do know that I had a little trouble myself. I sneaked into a position outside the house from which there was a good view of all the approaches but the one from the north. He arrived at about 10.30. He was moving toward the living room window, and I started toward him. Hi, Mark. What? I can't see you. I'm George Masters. 
You remember? George Masters? That's right. It's your fault. She wasn't in that room. Did I tell you she was in that room? Your heart, George Masters. He made a mistake. I told him, and he said I made a mistake. You're the doctor. Get away from me. You'll do it right this time, Mark. Come here. George Masters is dead. You aren't George Masters. No, I'm not, Mark. But you have to come with me. No, I don't. I won't go back to the hospital. I won't let you. Mark. Robeson, don't. Get away from No, I don't. I'm sorry, Robeson. I don't know what Becker is going to say to the police. But I do know what he learned from his patient after he was returned to the hospital and quieted down. Enclosed, you will find the doctor's confidential statement. He did go to Masters, hoping to ally him as a friend. Taking advantage of his escape, Masters armed him, in the hope of realizing a profit from Genesis insurance policy. But Robeson, in his agitation, fired into the wrong room. And because he placed the blame for his mistake on Masters instead of himself, he became violent, and as a result, Masters was killed. Expense account item three, same as item two, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account item four, and this is to you personally, Mr. Brewster. Payment for deceit in acing me into this matter, $500. Expense account total, $855.75. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music composed and conducted by Lee Stevens. Featured in tonight's cast were Bob Sweeney, Virginia Gregg, Gene Bates, High Averback, and Howard McNear. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.